I'm happy you're with us for the latest from your New Mexico government. I'm Cave Movahead. We have 10 days left in this legislative session. This is the point where everything starts moving very quickly, almost frantically, so lawmakers can get to all of the bills they care about before time runs out. Today, we're going to focus on House Bill 132, a bill that would limit interest rates on storefront loans. You know, the kinds of loans given in strip malls that sometimes require a car title as collateral. They're problematic for the way they tend to cluster in less affluent parts of town and for the exceptionally high interest rates that often keep borrowers trapped in a cycle of debt that's difficult to escape. Today, we'll first chat with Dan Boyd, the Capitol Bureau Chief for the Albuquerque Journal. He's been following HB 132 closely this year and has followed similar bills to cap interest rates that just didn't get across the finish line in previous sessions. Then we're going to do something a little different. Fred Nathan Jr. will join us. He's not a journalist. Fred is the founder and executive director of Think New Mexico. It's a nonpartisan think tank based in Santa Fe, but working for all New Mexicans. There are a couple things to note. First, when we sat down for the interview with Fred, we discovered that he's on the board of the Thornburg Foundation, who also funds us at YNMG. It's only a coincidence that it came up in conversation, but we wanted to be transparent about that. Second, Think New Mexico has been advocating for House Bill 132 and even had a hand in writing the text, along with Senate Bill 177, which Fred discusses. We brought Fred on because Think New Mexico has a reputation for fairness and has been involved with the issue of exceptionally high interest loans for years. In fact, you'll hear us referencing a 2020 Think New Mexico report on predatory lending in both interviews today. Okay, let's get on with it. Things are moving so fast in Santa Fe that I'm afraid to delay any longer or we'll be outdated. Here's my chat with Dan Boyd calling in from the media office at the Roundhouse. I reached out specifically to talk to you about House Bill 132. It's designed to limit the interest rate on short-term loans to 36%. And as of now, it's scheduled to go to the House floor. It's made it through all of its committees on the House side. Yeah, it is on the uh, the House floor uh, calendar for today, and I'm told that they will take it up today. So uh, expecting a vote on it, some action. It, Like you said, it's already passed through its two uh, assigned House committees. If it passes the House today, if it were to pass, it would then go to the Senate. The Senate did pass a pretty similar bill last year, so that would be a promising sign. But certainly the clock is also ticking as we kind of enter the final third of the of the session. Now, that kind of brings up an interesting idea. When bills have made it through one of the chambers, do they typically get fast-tracked or get any kind of preferential treatment on the other side? Not necessarily, but I I would say in this kind of a uh, circumstance, when the other chamber has passed a similar bill in the previous year and there's that familiarity with the bill, in a way, they don't have to kind of start from scratch on it. They're already familiar with the uh, the concept and with some of the the debate and the different sides on the bill. So I do think that could make it move a little quicker, Um, you know, whether or not that means it gets assigned to fewer committees or not. I I think that remains to be seen. I'll just add in a note for listeners. If we get any kind of resolution from the House vote before this podcast goes on to air, I will add that at the end of the show. Can you kind of go over some of the specifics for House Bill 132? You bet. This has been an issue that's been debated or popped up periodically over the years in New Mexico. The current limit on annual interest rates for these kind of 
storefront loans, title loans, things like that is 175%. That was actually enacted five years ago in 2017 under kind of a compromise bill that also kind of eliminated some payday loans and things like that. But even, even since that bill passed, there's been a lot of folks, including a number of legislators who thought that 175% is still way too high, especially since a lot of these loans are targeted or affect, you know, lower income New Mexicans who have a hard time paying them back. So that, that's been kind of the push for proponents to, to bring this back. They came close last year, but fell just short. They're trying again this year. I think on the other side, the opponents, one of the main arguments we hear is that, you know, if, if they pass this, it could lead to some of these loan businesses closing and it could make it harder for folks to have access to credit. They might be driven to other places like online lenders, things like that, who aren't as regulated. Do you have an idea how, how big this industry is in New Mexico? If it were to, you know, hamper business, would we feel it? I think there's been numbers uh, tossed around. I don't have all of them at my fingertips, but more than a thousand employees statewide. So certainly they, they do employ a lot of folks. On the other side, we've heard testimony, powerful testimony from some people who took out these loans and said they got kind of trapped in, in debt then and, and couldn't afford to pay them back and just the impact that had on their lives. And there's also been some talk about maybe uh, opponents supporting uh, a lower interest rate, but not quite 36%. So we'll see. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of moving pieces here. And, and I think, you know, powerful testimony on, on both sides of the issue. Is it strictly the industry who's lobbying against? It is mostly the industry. They have a lot of lobbyists who are, are pretty high profile and connected lobbyists that they've kind of enlisted in this, in their effort to kind of keep the current law in place. To be fair, I did hear at least one employee of one of these uh, lenders who did testify during a committee hearing saying that she was afraid she would lose her job if, if this were to pass. But for the most part, it has been the industry and their lobbyists who've been kind of the opposition to this measure. Uh, well, we've heard more from advocacy groups and, and individuals who've taken out loans kind of testifying in support of, of lowering the interest rate cap. There was a, one woman who said her husband had had to leave the country and uh, she took out $6,000 in loans and then all of a sudden was faced with paying back $36,000. So it's it's those type of stories that legislators are hearing. And, and I think those resonate. I'm thinking about a report we heard, gosh, a year or two ago about how the great majority of American families don't have the financial resources to withstand a major catastrophe, you know, even a few hundred dollars in the bank if something were to happen and, and they didn't have any income for that pay period. I assume the industry is using this kind of argument to show that they provide a service that really some people need from time to time. I think especially during the pandemic, I've seen some reports. There was a, a survey of Latino voters in the state that I, I think about 20% of them had taken out a, one of these kind of loans over the last year, which is a pretty si significant amount when you think about it. Of the overall population, I'm, I'm not sure what that number is, but I know proponents of the bill have said that it's more than... 20% in a lot of the counties, adult residents having taken out these loans. In a state like New Mexico that does have, you know, lower income levels overall, the industry has made that argument that they're providing an important service, you know, giving people access to cash so they can pay for basic expenses and in those emergency situations. I, I think then the, uh, the debate comes over, well, yeah, maybe you're providing that money up front, but then what's the kind of the consequences or, or how are a lot of these individuals then going to be able to repay these loans? Now, the industry is pretty powerful in New Mexico, and part of the way that they get that power is by making campaign contributions. Yeah, they've been active with campaign contributions. I mean, certainly not to the 
extent of uh, oil companies and some other industries, but you know there was a, a report done by New Mexico Ethics Watch that found that they'd given about $140,000 total to candidates and candidate PACs during the 2020 election cycle. And that money has been spread out among a lot of different legislators, both Republicans and Democrats. They have kind of benefited legislators in that regard. And certainly, like I mentioned earlier as well, just having these well-connected lobbyists, you know, some of the lobbyists that are representing the industry include Raymond Sanchez, who's the former Speaker of the, of the House, and others, some, you know, pretty well-regarded lobbyists as well. So I think they've been a, a pretty formidable industry, and it's been difficult for advocates to kind of get this past them. You've been referring to the industry as storefront lending. A lot of the people who are fighting for this bill have been calling it a predatory lending industry. Is there a difference? A lot of proponents of the legislation uh, describe it as predatory lending and, and make a decent argument of why it should be referred to as that. Technically, payday lending is no longer allowed in New Mexico, but certainly these storefront loans, which we use kind of to refer catch-all of title loans and other sorts of loans, you know, is is still, you know, definitely what we're talking about here. In the Think New Mexico report, they suggest a two-prong approach to solving the problem. One was capping interest rates, and the other is adding a financial literacy course as a graduation requirement for public schools, for high schools. And that actually did see some legislation this year. It is Senate Bill 177. I was just going to ask if you've heard people kind of talking about these two ideas together. Yeah. You know, interestingly, the the initial version of this year's bill, uh, House Bill 132, did include a $180,000 appropriation for kind of financial literacy efforts in schools. It wouldn't be a requirement like the standalone bill would be, but it would have included some funding for that. But that appropriation was stripped out of the bill during its first committee hearing. So it's not currently included in the bill in its current form, but but certainly I think that is part of this larger issue. And I could see, even if it doesn't happen this year, that push being resumed to require more kind of financial literacy be taught in schools as, as a graduation requirement, uh, whether or not the uh, interest rate loan cap is reduced. The only other thing I'd mention, and I don't know if you want to include this kind of inside baseball, but the bill actually did not get a message from the governor, which has raised some questions about whether or not it's germane. It did include that initial appropriation, but that was removed. So there has been some criticism, you know, that the bill's been allowed to move forward in the process, even though the governor didn't technically add it to the agenda. And that's HB 132. That's right. And, and like I said, it did have the appropriation, um, you know, and certainly spending bills are automatically germane, but then that was removed. And that criticism then did come up in its second committee in the, in the House Judiciary Committee, but the bill still passed out of that committee on a, a seven to five vote. Dan Boyd, the Capitol Bureau Chief from the Albuquerque Journal, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Remember what I said about things moving quickly? In the time between the call I had with Dan a few hours ago and now, the question of whether HB 132 was germane made it up to the governor's office. Remember how Dan said there was an appropriation that made it relevant to the budgetary session, but then it was stripped out, which made its eligibility questionable. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham just sent a message down to the legislature authorizing them to officially add it to the session's agenda. They read the message on the House floor, and the bill is still on the calendar and may come up in a session tonight. Now we'll go to Fred Nathan Jr. of Think New Mexico. His office is on the busy Paseo de Peralta across from the Roundhouse, so you might hear some traffic noise in the background. 
I started by asking about his 2020 report entitled How Predatory Lending Swallowed New Mexico and What We Can Do About It, and What Makes This Kind of Lending Predatory. We call it predatory lending for two reasons. First, so for example, in New Mexico, the industry here targets their lending to low-income communities. In fact, 64% of these storefront lenders are within 15 miles of native lands. And the other reason that we describe it as predatory is because it's triple-digit interest rates. It's at 175%. So to put that in context, if you were to get a loan for $400 for a year, you would be paying $700 of interest. And it's predatory because what they're really trying to do is to entrap consumers into a cycle of debt. And one of the companies is traded on Wall Street, and so they have to file something called a 10K. And they noted in there that their business model is to get repeat business and that 80% of their customers come back often because they're rolling over the loan because they can't afford to pay it back. You know, my understanding is that was actually a compromise, an improvement over what we had just a few years ago. Well, I think it was about two years ago. And and this actually goes back to 1980. Back then, interestingly, for the preceding quarter of a century from about the mid-1950s, we had an interest rate cap. And actually, it was at 36%. And from all the available information we can find, it worked just fine. But in 1980, the legislature repealed that cap and took more of a a laissez-faire attitude. At that point, that's when this industry flooded the state. And that's why we, kiddingly, in the title of that report, called it How the Predatory Lending Industry Swallowed New Mexico. So this makes me wonder, can we have storefront lending operations that are not going to disproportionately harm New Mexicans who are already our most financially vulnerable citizens? Yes, we we know that can happen because 14 states have already done it. And, And I would add, these are blue states and red states. Some of the red states, for example, are Arkansas, Montana, Nebraska, North Carolina, South Dakota, and there's a bunch of blue states as well. And they've all capped their interest rates right around 36%, with Arkansas being an outlier. They've done it at 17%. And it's worked quite well in those states. Uh, Low-income people continue to have access to credit, uh, contrary to what the industry has been claiming, that all these companies would leave. That hasn't been the experience of these other states. About half of them leave, and the others stay and have a business model that works at 36%, and they take over the leases of those other companies. In addition, we've got 145 credit union branches spread out all over the state. They're already making small loans, but not for 175%, not even for 36%. They're capped by federal law, and they can't make loans with interest rates above 28%. Okay, and I've heard the industry argue that they offer a service that you know credit unions, for instance, can't, and that is working with populations who may not have 
good or steady employment, but they have a car title. And that's enough to get them some money in an emergency situation or, you know, a short-term loan. You know, it, it's interesting first to understand why we have credit unions. These are essentially nonprofit banks. And they were started about a century ago in response to the same problem. Uh, back then it was called loan sharking. And today we have, as I said earlier, 145 branches throughout New Mexico. They make these small loans. They do it quite well. Um, and I've talked to some of the local credit unions where I live here in Santa Fe, and it's interesting how they do it in a cost-effective way. They meet these borrowers. They first ask, would you be willing to take a financial literacy course, which is in effect the way they, they check on credit. And if the answer is yes, they take them on as customers. And what they generally do is put them on a, essentially a line of credit so that it's not very labor intensive to make these loans. So yes, these loans are already being made in the state by non-predatory lenders, namely credit unions. In your 2020 report, you have two main solutions that you highlight, cutting interest rates and teaching financial literacy. We've already kind of touched on both of these, and these ideas are getting some traction. I do have a question about the interest rates, though. Why 36%? To many of us, that still sounds very high. You know, it, it is high, and you're right. Two reasons. As I mentioned earlier, that was an interest rate in New Mexico from the mid-1950s to 1980, and it seemed to strike a good balance, and it was very workable. The other reason is that we have something called the Military Fair Lending Act at the federal level. This came about because military leaders went to then-President George W. Bush in the early 2000s and told him that we had a national security crisis because this industry also targets military service people, and many of them were in over their heads, and the military leadership believed that this could lead to a problem where some of these service people were so desperate that they might sell military secrets to our enemies. So President Bush, working with Democrats in Congress in a bipartisan fashion, was able to pass the Military Fair Lending Act, which limits the rate, and they chose 36%. At that point, a number of states said, why not extend this to every citizen in our state? The median rate cap, I think, in the country is not much higher than 36. I think it's 36.5% for a typical loan of $500. One of the arguments that we've been pointing out to legislators is that predatory lending, and the reason it's so important to end it, is because it's really economic development in reverse. We had our interns research the corporate headquarters of the 561 storefront lending stores to see where they were located. And about 85% are located out of the state. So essentially what's happening is we're exporting dollars from low-income New Mexicans out of the state. And of course, economic development is about importing new dollars into the state. And one of the things we've been pointing out is if we can bring this interest rate down, that will put dollars back in the pockets of low-income New Mexicans who can't afford to save and will spend those dollars immediately, mostly on local businesses like restaurants, which could really use a boost right now.
In an op-ed earlier this week, Rio Grande Sun publisher Robert Trapp pushed the idea of financial literacy courses in public schools as a way to help prevent New Mexicans from getting into situations where they may need short-term loans. This is an idea, I think, proposed a couple of years ago. It's in the report, but you also mentioned earlier the idea of these financial literacy courses offered through credit unions or suggested by credit unions. I'm actually more interested in how we get financial literacy courses into schools. How would that work? 24 states now have made financial literacy a high school graduation rate. And we have a bill that uh, Senator Shannon Pinto, who represents the Navajo Nation and is a former math teacher, has introduced at Senate Bill 177. And what it would do is require that financial literacy be taught in every high school and be a requirement for high school graduation. And it gives a lot of flexibility to the schools. They can either incorporate it in their math curriculum or their social studies curriculum as part of economics and government. And we think this is part of the solution. It's also an anti-poverty strategy because you're giving these teenagers the tools they need, such as budgeting, investing, savings, and the danger of high interest loans. In New Mexico, it's an optional course. And we went to PED and asked them, you know, what percentage of students are actually taking it? And it's about 11%. So that's why we believe it's necessary to make it a graduation requirement. And I will say, I don't think I've heard Senate Bill 177 in the discussion right alongside House Bill 132 for the most part. Maybe that's a mistake, huh? Should we be thinking of them together? We should be thinking of them together. Unfortunately, we don't yet have a message from the governor, and I I think it's just an oversight, but it needs a message in order to get a hearing. Uh, Last year, this bill passed the House unanimously, passed Senate education unanimously, and died uh, on the Senate floor without a hearing during the last eight days of that session. So I'm quite confident we could pass this bill quickly. There's a lot of support on both sides of the aisle for making financial literacy a high school graduation requirement. Thank you for having me on as your first (laughs) non-journalist. Thank you so much. Thanks to Fred Nathan Jr. from Think New Mexico. We also want to thank the Albuquerque Journal's Capitol Bureau Chief Dan Boyd for taking time for us at this incredibly busy time for government reporters. As of the time of this publication, we still don't have a result from the hearing in the House for HB 132. Find out what happens by following KUNM Radio and New Mexico PBS over the air and online. Also, be sure to keep an eye on the hashtag YNMG so you don't miss future episodes. And if you're just now joining us for the first time, you can find all of our episodes under the News tab on KUNM.org, online at NewMexicoPBS.org, and on Spotify and iTunes. Thank you to the Thornburg Foundation for supporting your New Mexico government with our shared goal of helping to foster good and open government. I'm Kaveh Movahead. Come back for the next YNMG in just a couple of days. We'll see you then.